direct conversation, some deep reactions, please. All this comics narrationating me. A little more talk, a lot less read. A little fight, baby, is what I need. Close the trade, open up your brains. Explain it to me. Explain it to me, baby. Explain it to me. Thank you, Vandello, and welcome to Rhett Conversations. We are totally jazzed today uh, to, to bring you uh, probably one of the most infamous X-Men stories ever, ever told. Uh, but my name is Josh Wasta, a.k.a. Fallout Fieri, and with me, as always, she would put her tender heart in a blender, watch it spin around to a beautiful oblivion. It's Ms. Leia Cameron. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I chose that one because that's kind of what reading this felt like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just replace heart with, with, with mind, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and our special guest returning... Uh, to us again is uh, Mr. Jesse Latorno. Jesse, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah. So, uh, what you were saying uh, this a little bit off air, but please reiterate why you chose uh, Onslaught for our uh, for your episode. Yeah. Well, so I am uh, uh, a Marvel kid, mostly '80s and '90s, but I never really got into X Men stuff. So I'm like, oh, here's an X Men story. I don't know a lot about. Um, and was very thankful we had some conversations uh, setting all this up where I was like, wait, hold on. I think I recognize Onslaught as this horrible thing that happened to the Red Skull much, much later. And you're like, yes, but no. Axis. During <laughs> Axis. Okay, good. <laughs> Great. We can stick to X-Men. I don't know. And do we get to make fun of uh, Cyclops? Oh, all the time. In okay, fact, yeah. even in my notes, I'm making fun of Cyclops. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. Then I will leave that to you, and I will just sit here stunned. Fantastic. Oh, my God. Yes. So much Cyclops in this. Uh, so much everyone. We get a little bit of just about everyone all right. in this, which is fantastic. Uh, a story in which Gambit is, is involved way more than any yeah. other comic that we've done. Yeah, now, I, I figured that you, you had to be jazzed at least about that. <laughs> I was, because this is actually a pivotal... I knew the only parts of this that I knew before, I've never read this. Um, the, the parts that I knew previously were only the parts to build on Gambit and Rogue's relationship, because I literally know every part of that. Right. Um, sure. So, But this is like one line in their story uh which we'll get into um but before we start we should say there are two versions of this the first one as i go and find things you know for the show i got it's just one graphic novel that's like onslaught i'm like perfect pick that up pick up the digital version send it to leia start reading it myself i realize it is 46 pages long now <laughs> probably great for a reader not great for our show as that's like 15 minutes and okay, goodbye, everybody. Yeah. Um, if this interests you, I would suggest the 46 page version because for a reader, that's all you really need. <laughs> we are going to go into the Marvel Milestones 458 page 20 issue comic book version <laughs> of this story that still has previously pages which are just like a uh, uh, text block worth of and then this happened oh, okay not, uh, over various comics not to jump the gun but to pull the emergency break before we get to the emergency break so is this a storyline that's like 46 pages and then the summary is 10 times longer 
So the actual onslaught story was in onslaught number one. Uh Um, I want to say there's an onslaught. I don't have it. It's in my notes, but there's a, there's an onslaught, something else like the main when onslaught is happening and then onslaught epilogue. Those three comics are collected in one comic. What we're going to be going over is Uncanny, well, some of this is parts, but Uncanny X-Men number 287. Then we're going to run, then we're going to jump because this little bit of storyline was left dangling to Uncanny X-Men number 333. And that's when really the Onslaught story starts happening. So there are parts of this that include four years worth of X-Men history that is hinted at like way before uh you know that that crosses the age of apocalypse story there's a lot of age of apocalypse that that bleeds into this uh this story actually bridged uh age of apocalypse with what is called heroes reborn which we'll talk about when we get to the end of this um so yeah any any other questions moving forward i'm good i'm good for now (laughs) okay i will try to remember to at least give leia the chance to answer these I will um, try my best, just as a, in the interest of full disclosure, I accidentally read the 49-page one, <laughs> not the 450-page one, so I am doing my best to keep up, like, I, I I did, you know, get the summary, basically, Um, but there may be some, some questions uh, that you have that I simply don't know the answer to, because I read the wrong part of the story. <laughs> we may be joined about halfway, which will be delightful, uh, by, by Ms. Jennifer Howland, okay. who is off at brunch right now. Um, oh, delight. Yes. Uh, so when she gets here, we'll just lead on her to make stuff up. And considering that X-Men is also not a, a main knowledge uh, comic for her, that will be extremely amusing. <laughs> so this is how the show works, just in case uh, this is your first episode. Uh, I am the presenting professor, Professor J. I will be taking Jesse uh, through uh, the entirety of Onslaught. Um, anytime Jesse has the power, as he has done already, to pull the emergency brake on the entire show, ask any question, be it serious or not, make any comment, we will be making comments all the way through. We really need to because uh, <laughs> humor is how we deal with trauma, and this is <laughs> uh, If he asks a question, it's going to get thrown to Professor L. At that point, Professor L can either answer, or if she doesn't know, she can throw it back to me. Uh, and as I said, if Ms. Jennifer Howland comes back, uh, she may just make up an answer. Otherwise, Leigh and I will put up our hands, give uh, jazz hands and spirit fingers, and go comic books, uh, as we do a lot with X-Men. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, X-Men, I think, is the property that we do that the most with. <laughs> yeah. So, let us begin. We're going to begin... Four years before the story occurs, and we're going to have an excerpt from Uncanny X-Men number 287. And this is during the Age of Apocalypse. Uh, you have Bishop uh, leading a team, and I don't know who else is on the team, because they I think they're just Age of Apocalypse characters. Um, but they are mutant hunters, um, and they go into, like, a hatch down into the sewers, uh, and of course, find a long abandoned war room of the X-Men, uh, which is playing the last message ever sent, which is Jean Grey. Um, however, keep in mind, this is four years before, um, and 
that the message has uh, has had issues like this is way in the future because it's apocalypse um right. so there are parts of the message missing so it's like got static in it um to explain that to our younger viewers static is uh, <laughs> basically your cell phone signal dropping uh, <laughs> randomly it. but it didn't really just drop it went <laughs> in your ear <laughs> It's like those phone commercials that Tom Brady came back for another year. Right. Yes. <laughs> so Which I Jean... feel like there's going to be a plot point along that line as well. I just, that feels like. Oh, but Tom Brady and the X-Men? <laughs> no, <laughs> that there's some piece of information that is missing and then the hearers make an assumption and then they get more information later and like, you know. It... Well, that's just, yeah, that's just comic books. Well, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Looking so... forward to it. So I'll see if I can do this without ruining my throat. Uh, Gene's message, and I will read it verbatim because I have to put in the part, <laughs> is Alex, Alex, cable, anyone, don't even know, transmission being received, taken total, taken totally unaware, both teams and decimated, mansion security was deactivated, activated, activated, deactivated from within, Betrayed by one of our own, <laughs> Professor Xavier <laughs> was the first to die. Only one left. <laughs> Powers negated. Our own fault. Really ne should have never trusted. <laughs> we knew so little about. <laughs> and then there's like a booming sound. And she goes, you <laughs> may have killed the X-Men, <laughs> but the dream will never. <laughs> and then she's dead. Well, and that, it, not to keep interrupting, but that's lovely because I feel like you could take that and Mad Libs the wiki page for every X-Men story ever, right? It's absolutely <laughs> true. Like 100%. So uh, basically this ends with Bishop extremely dramatic, dramatically going, this tape only poses more questions than it answers. The first amongst them, who killed Professor Charles Xavier? As he's like screaming straight up. So there is a load of exposition as it basically fills in three and a half years worth of four years worth of content right um so pre previously on x-men decades in the future while pursuing pursuing the future fugitive trevor fitzroy mutant policeman bishop stumbled across a disturbing recording one that showed the x-men's betrayal and murder when Fli fitzroy fled back in time bishop followed finding himself trapped in the present day bishop soon met and joined the x-men he suspected Gambit of being the traitor, but the truth would be far more terrifying. Months ago, during a savage conflict on Magneto's space station, the Master of Magnetism used his powers to rip the adamantium off of Wolverine's skeleton. Horrified, Professor X reacted by crossing a line he swore he never would and wiped Magneto's mind clean. Weeks later, several refugees from the dystopian Age of Apocalypse timeline used the Mcran crystal to escape into the Marvel Universe, basically the 616, mm -hmm. the villainous Holocaust, Son of Apocalypse, the amoral Dark Beast, counterpart of the, counterpart of the X-Men's own beast, and Nate Gray, the X-Man, an immensely powerful teenage version of Cable. So powerful, in fact, that he literally pulled Professor X's astral form into the physical world during an early altercation. In the months that followed, Rogue left the X-Men, her relationship with Gambit on shaky ground. 
Archangel and Psylocke left the team as well to heal from severe injuries inflicted by Sabretooth and to adjust by, to Psylocke's miraculous cure courtesy of the mystical Crimson Dawn. After the loss of his adamantium, Wolverine mutated into a savage animalistic state. He began to meditate with the ninja Electra, but feared that his humanity might be lost forever. Meanwhile, Cable began losing control of the techno-organic virus that Apocalypse had infected him with as an infant. Elsewhere, Holocaust destroyed Magneto's space station, sending the comatose villain and his acolytes hurtling towards Earth. Nate Gray, confused by the unfamiliar new world he, was, he found himself in, became distrustful of Xavier and his pupils, and Dark Beast, attempting to avoid the mad geneticist Mr. Sinister, imprisoned and impersonated the real Beast, hiding in plain sight amongst the X-Men. And through all this upheaval, a mysterious new villain named Onslaught loomed in the shadows. The X-Men first became aware of Onslaught when they found the Juggernaut thoroughly defeated, muttering the villain's name. Juggernaut was soon exiled to another dimension by two mysterious agents who claimed that, quote, he knew too much, end quote. Onslaught's mystery grew when two Sentinel production facilities were found stripped bare and the villain's name scrawled across the walls. All right. Later, so, yep. Oh, you know, Go ahead. I've, I've got a couple of clarifications. So Dark Beast is Beast from another timeline, not Beast becoming a bad guy? Right. Dark Beast is from right. Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> Oh, and is that the Dark Beast that's, like, kicking around now? Yes. Okay. Ah. Well, there is Dark Beast and there is Beast, and they are both. But the, well, (laughs) currently in comics, Beast is starting to go down the path of Dark Beast. Okay. Because, yeah, he's doing some shit. It was real Beast who, like, brought the the X-Men from the past, like, the original X-Men into the main timeline. And, yeah. Okay. Well, because the, yeah. I mean, Beast is the purest character as far as, like, morality and, like, joy left in the X-Men. So, of course, that, that checks. Yeah, yeah, um, no, we can't have that. So <laughs> it, 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 this is the Wolverine that has the bandana and somehow is missing a nose. That's this. Yes, and has, okay. and has bone claws. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then did you say there was a villain named Holocaust? Yeah. So it's there's curious. a villain named Apocalypse that messes with time travel that leads us to a villain named Holocaust. And then we have a villain named Onslaught because subtlety? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Good uh, Lord. There's, I, oh, okay. I'm just going to have to get over the fact there's a villain named Holocaust in the I, X-Men because I just feel, well, okay. This I mean, is the most I'm 90s. Not, I'm not in love with it either. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, but all, like, is you already have that. <laughs> like that's who the X-Men are. Like it, it, I'm okay. Everything's fine. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to top it all off, X-Men is in this. I don't know how much experience you have with X-Men, Nate Gray, uh, but he's the most 90s of 90s oh, yeah. characters. So is, is that the the big dude with the little Orpheus sunglasses that like has no power but is just cool looking? I think you're thinking of Strong Guy. Okay. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no. Nate this Gray looks crazy. like a, a teenage version of Cable. His power oh, okay. is his power is being awesome and rad, and he right. rides a skateboard. He's oh, kind God. of the he's kind of the poochie of the X Men. I was about to ask if this was the poochie. <laughs> and, and so this is this is an alternate alternate reality aged down version of yet another Summers, as if that family tree needed more people. Indeed. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. Okay. We have two more paragraphs, by the way, in this uh, later Generation X's chamber 
was briefly abducted by Onslaught, and although he was returned unharmed, his memory of the villain's face had been erased. The X-Men were then attacked by Onslaught's vassal, the man called Post. His defeat took a tremendous effort, after which Onslaught materialized for the first time, warning the X-Men this was only the beginning. Recently, Onslaught recruited Holocaust and sent him after Nate Gray. After a brutal battle, Nate prevailed, but after realizing Onslaught's true nature, Nate knew that he couldn't defeat him alone. So, cool. that was four years worth of X-Men history in yeah. a page. So, we go to uh, X-Men number 333. Uh -huh. Uncanny X-Men number three. And we start at the home of Senator Robert Kelly, anti-mutant and proto-mega-politician. Uh, is, I, I swear to God, reading this, yeah. every fucking thing that comes out of Robert Senator Robert Kelly's mouth, I'm like, yeah, you're a fucking Trumper. Wasn't yeah. he based on Mike Pence or something? I feel like I read something that said that he was like based on a an actual politician. I don't know, but that's fascinating, and we will look it up at the end of the show. <laughs> okay. Put a pin in that. <laughs> I don't want. No, I don't. And we're already starting off on a, on a great note because he has called Cyclops to his house to ask for help. <laughs> uh, this is going to jump around a lot. So meanwhile, sure. Storm, Cannonball, and Bishop are on a mission. They are hovering in cloak above the Pentagon. Uh, Cannonball asks if this would be more of a cable mission, and Storm <laughs> says it would be, and she admires him. Uh, Iceman, Beast, and Xavier are also on this mission and chime in with uh, Xavier ultimately saying Cable has a mission of his own. Uh, Beast is like missing some beats. Like there's like things that he's supposed to be typing into the computer that he doesn't remember because he's not actually Beast. He's Dark Beast. Right. Uh, meanwhile, Jean Grey and Gambit are also on this mission, entering the Pentagon masquerading as military officials. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as you do. Yeah. Then we jump to a chateau in the mountains where Archangel is recuperating, uh, trying to rehab his wings after a fight with Sabretooth. Uh, Psylocke is psychically attacked and screams out. Uh, Warren rushes to save her, but he exacerbates his injury and he plummets to the ground, landing on the ground next to her. Uh, back at the Pentagon, Gambit and Jean attend a meeting held by Bastion, who is newly introduced. He talks about mutant extermination, and Jean mentions to Remy that she can't read his mind. It's as if there is nothing there. Um, Bastion talks about the mutant threat of Onslaught and the widespread destruction. And Jean wonders why Xavier hasn't been able to detect Onslaught. Uh, back at Senator Kelly's house, Kelly spills on all the organizations he is a member of, saying he only ever wanted to suppress mutants, not exterminate them. Uh, yeah. Just a guttural indication of what you just said. Continue. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Outside his house, a kill squad who has been surveilling him explodes his house. <laughs> and they were like, well, that's enough from you. Perfectly and, normal thing to do. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And we find out that they work for presidential candidate Grayson Creed. Uh, Cyclops, in fact, saved Kelly at the last moment. But the kill squad doesn't know that, so basically reports that it was a success. So, rhetorical question. Sure. Human beings living in a post-Watergate world blew up their opponent's house? Yes. Okay, cool. Just, okay. Uh, back at the Pentagon, Bastion, basically in the middle of a speech about how 
he is going to use the resources of apparently there are several countries here representatives of several countries it's like yes we're going to get rid of all of all of the the mutants uh there is a uh operation uh zero tolerance which <laughs> is meant to wipe all mutants from the earth in the middle of his speech he randomly pulls out a gun and points it at gambit and gene and basically says mutants uh gene is unable to affect him with her powers at all so they flee uh they blast through a wall to find that all the soldiers who were waiting for them on the other side are asleep onslaught psychically talks to gene and uh tells her that he's done this for her saying it's a gift um warren and betsy wake up to find they're in front of a giant form trapped in a living shadow and that is where that uh issue ends all right oh, x-men no. number 53. gene and onslaught are talking in the astral plane uh he says they're meeting so she can assist him when human and mutant relations hit a flashpoint uh in a basement cell beast is trapped slowly dying of thirst and starving uh he basically has a little machine like a like a hamster uh you know water tube yeah, thing, yeah. <laughs> uh that he's getting water from and he tries to get a little more water and accidentally breaks the machine and spills water all over the floor however as the water seeps into the floor he sees that it is exposed that there's a trap door there hmm. uh onslaught takes gene to grayson creed's campaign headquarters where he shows her the anti-mutant sentiment is actually being co-opted by several people for their own gain uh which of course it is mm -hmm. um <laughs> things that were like shocker in the 90s that now we're like well yeah right exactly uh gene is like well that doesn't surprise me that's why i because basically this whole thing about gene that we find out is walking down the street like she knows what people say and what they're thinking uh and it's never the same thing so like she's walking down the street and people are like you fucking mutie like <laughs> uh whereas they're like oh hi how's it going um so uh she says she surrounds herself with good people and onslaught is like well that's a challenge time to go show you how shitty your friends are <laughs> i that's all that's all yeah yep so back in uh back at the chateau uh for nine hours uh psylocke has been on the floor just screaming mm -hmm. uh and she, like her screams are in uh are coordination with the shadows that seem to pulse with her screams okay uh and then this the shadows finally like kind of rip open and juggernaut comes out uh juggernaut like wants to tell them something he's basically like you guys can help me but he has a mental block he can't actually say what he wants to say mm -hmm. all he can say is he knows who onslaught is okay uh, so they can't <laughs> yeah. they can't help he's like well you can't help me and he crashes through the wall just if they're in colorado just heading towards uh the mansion that is in massachusetts <laughs> all right oh bless that man back at the mansion onslaught tells gene that he will expose those closest to her when she brings up scott he's dismissed as xavier's lapdog uh i mean he's right uh <laughs> Onslaught takes her to Xavier, and she says she trusts Xavier like a father. Then Onslaught shows her that Xavier's actually in love with her. This, understandably, freaks Gene the fuck out. 
<laughs> we get to pretend that like the whole like mentor young girl student 60s like thing isn't their relationship and it's like bad and creepy and abuse of power but not that bad right we can do that it's, it's yeah sure yeah let's let's See? let's do that <laughs> thank you so i this has been brought up time and again in the history of charles xavier right he's done he's done far worse um but sure he has never acted on them and i think that in all of this that needs to be considered yeah that that you don't get to choose you know when feelings develop but when you know it ain't right and you don't act on it i mean there's there's some things to be said about I'll, I'll, i'll give him the credit for not acting on it yeah that's especially as a uh mentor in power with psychic abilities he right we have the opportunity to and actually what we find out is that actively in his conscious mind xavier himself doesn't even know about this because he has uh, taken he has taken this and a lot of other aspects of himself put them in a little ball with his mental energy and just shoved them into a dark box in the back of his mind <laughs> So for those of you playing at home on your bingo cards, a character needs therapy is now crossed off. <laughs> yes. Okay. God damn it, where is Dr. Samson when we need him? Right? He should that's, be like the busiest man in the Marvel fucking like maybe that's universe a, across he, dimensions he, everywhere. He's in group therapy with Miles, Cap, and Sam, and they just he doesn't have time for anybody else. I guess. <laughs> we we honestly need a shirt made Leia that's just wreck conversations on the top and then where are you doc samson with a picture yes. of samson <laughs> okay um magneto wakes up in south carolina and doesn't know who he is other than that his name is joseph uh he wanders around until a fat colonel sanders gives him some chicken and has him attend church oh no oh no <laughs> that's so bad <laughs> so like- seriously it, this dude is looks like a fat Colonel Sanders, has a bunch of chicken, gives him chicken, s- s- puts corn and mashed potatoes on Joseph's plate, and uh, basically is like, oh, get yourself a bite before the minister starts to preaching. Have yourself a famous bull and listen to this sermon. <laughs> wow. as, as a pastor in Southern Indiana, I have nothing to say about that, and it doesn't resonate in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Do not have a fat Colonel Sanders. <laughs> don't have a fat Colonel Sanders, but listen, uh, as as a you have star- fried chicken. I, I was going to say, as an atheist, I, if there was a fat Colonel Sanders, I'd sit through it. Like I'd, <laughs> I'd sit through a sermon. I'm like, I got at least I got chicken. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, meanwhile, in the astral plane, Onslaught tries to get Gene to join him and to accept the full power of the Phoenix Force. Basically, he's like, no, no, it's cool. You just accept the Phoenix Force. You work with me. It's all good. Um, yeah. She refuses and Onslaught kicks her kicks her out of the astral plane and dumps her physically back into the dressing room he pulled her from. So, like, she was just going and trying on clothes and Onslaught was like, boop. And they, they actually pointed out, like, that she disappeared from the dressing room. So after like an hour of him trying to be like, your friends are shit and your dad loves you, uh, is in love with you, just throws her back in the dressing room. All right. Uh, Perfectly normal. Perfectly healthy. She's disoriented um, (laughs) and has Onslaught psychically written on her forehead like a brand. What? (laughs) 
I, I, mm. I love the 90s. <laughs> uh, so now we go to X-Men number, or Uncanny X-Men number 334. Okay. Um, Juggernaut approaches the mansion thinking about how he's scared of Onslaught. Bishop is in the mansion working on some tech when Gambit arrives. And basically, like, it's the first time that Bishop has referred to him as Remy and not as LeBeau or gambit or because bishop has basically spent the last four years uh trying to convince everyone that gambit is going to kill professor xavier uh and has recently found out that that is not the case uh he has found out that it's not the case because he was kidnapped by mr sinister and forced to look at his repressed memories of the age of uh apocalypse gambit brings up that it's odd that xavier couldn't help him uh to to face those repressed memories uh when the alarm starts to go off and gambit's like well time to go investigate uh gene interrupts cyclops's weird workout which is basically like omega lambda level session in the danger room um where he's just like working shit out um she walks in and and, uh (laughs) uh cyclops is like okay well pause the she's like nope lay that order keep going because i need to talk to you so they're like fighting really bad shit going on and she puts a psychic bubble around them so so like they're wasting all these resources just crashing against but she tells him that uh onslaught came to talk to him talk to her mm-hmm. scott recommends going to the professor and jeans immediately like nope nope don't want to do that nope <laughs> nope uh at the mansion cannonball tells xavier he's worried he's not cutting it and Xavier's like, cool, fucking quit then, you fucking quitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Xavier's being a real dick. Um, like, I-, I will read just one line from this, like, two panels worth of, or two pages worth of Xavier just cutting Sam down. If you want to be an X-Man, if you want to stand for something, then enough of your whining and get back to the job at hand. <laughs> um, Juggernaut beats up Bishop and Gambit. So we're just going <laughs> to skip that fight. <laughs> didn't he come for answers yeah yeah <laughs> well they, they are also basically like oh my god it's juggernaut and jump him <laughs> he's like fuck you guys <laughs> so dark beast is trying to see if wolverine is going to continue to become an animal um while he's looking at it like oh my god his so this scene is actually worth it because uh storm and and bobby are watching um and you know, there is what Beast sa- or Dark Beast says, and then there's what's in his head. And at one point, like, Bobby does the thing because they're such good friends that he walks over and, like, slaps Hank on the back. And Hank literally thinks, touch me one more time and I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Beast is like, I have no clue what's going on with Wolverine. Very subtly, he hits, like, the switch that... Uh, undoes the restraints that wolverine's under and for some reason he needs to run like an animal um he runs past storm who goes to chase him and then she's stopped by sam uh cannonball who is like listen we really need to talk about the professor (laughs) um grayson creed uh gets done uh he, he gives a speech in new hampshire as he goes backstage bastion is there waiting for him and basically is like uh yeah you're an idiot uh you're just lucky that uh that senator kelly's still alive um 
And Creed's like, are you threatening me? He's like, yeah. Yeah, I am. (laughs) And I'll I'll fucking kill you. (laughs) Uh, Jean is at her lake house when she hears a sound on her front porch. So she goes to investigate and it's the bodies of Gambit and Bishop. (laughs) Um, Juggernaut's standing there. He's like, listen, I could have killed them. This is in good faith. Uh, I need you to help me. Uh, he and she's like, "Oh my God, you're a villain! Why would I help you and everything else?" And he's like, yeah. "Okay, tell you what." He takes his helmet off and he's like, "So this is an act of good faith. Um, you can do whatever you want to me, but I'm going to need you to go into my head because I know who Onslaught is, but I can't say it." Mm-hmm. Uh, Xavier calls Cyclops in for a meeting and is completely and totally honest with him, giving him well-needed feedback. Let me read you this scene because <laughs> Cyclops. Ask if that was sarcasm. Continue. Uh, Cyclops, Professor, you wanted to see me? Xavier, there are many things I wanted from you over the years, Scott, but in the final analysis, I think it's safe to say you've been a tremendous disappointment as a leader, as a surrogate son, and as a friend. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> Sir, <Be damn. laughs> Sir Charles, what's wrong? Stay calm. Never let your ad- adversary know you're off balance. Don't let him shake you. Excellent. I need... I need you, Scott, to be strong for me, for all of us now more than ever. So basically, Scott walks in and uh, and Xavier negs him like really bad. And then when he's like, but what? What? And, and he's like, aha, I was testing you. Uh, but he wasn't because he's just being a dick. Right. So and, and then it's a psychic projection. So he disappears. Right. So emergency break. This is Scott Summers, who's like led jim lee drawn teams at this point right yep like this is cyclops fully stepping into the leadership being the next xavier that xavier's saying this yep. yes okay cool Can pr- proceed <laughs> uh so in the morlock tunnels oh god uh, <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile in the morlock tunnels is a oh, so <laughs> is a phrase i don't ever want to hear again right we, we don't end up on the moon right <laughs> Well, in the Morlock tunnels that somehow are below the mansion. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't, sure. Sure, of course. Gene <laughs> uh, takes uh, Jugs into the sewer, into a size-shielded room to find out who Onslaught is. She mentions, and this is important to people that understand X-Men, uh-huh. when Professor Xavier faked his death the first time, <laughs> this is where he went and put himself for like three or four years. Okay. And the only person that knew he was down there was Jean Grey. Uh, this is a slight retcon to basically everything in X-Men history. <laughs> you, don't, you don't say. <laughs> so that's the end of that issue. <laughs> awesome. We go Stuff to X- happening. So we go to, we go to X-Men number 54. Oh, wait, wait, so hold on real quick. So if I understand this, uh, they need a secure place for Jean to talk to or you know to get the information about onslaught and despite the mansion being full of i'm assuming all kinds of tech in rooms because xavier lives there they take the time to drag the morlocks into it to retcon something that gene knew about another story that doesn't matter for this one yes but also the morlocks aren't there (laughs) so it's in the morlock tunnels (laughs) for no reason but in some separate part of them where Professor Xavier fucked off too for three years. Is, is, is this our introduction to the Morlock Tunnels under the mansion? I, I have never heard of the Morlock Tunnels under the Institute, but uh, even, even I thought that they were in New York. Even 
here before or since I'll, I'll note i have not heard of this being a thing <laughs> see because i was so at first i was like oh this is dumb the mansion has plenty of room and then you're like oh and this is where the morlock tunnels and xavier was and she knew the whole time I'm like oh this is like showing us how important it is because this is some deep lore of the x-men that but no 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 so there so there's no reason to use these tunnels like these tunnels don't mean anything to the readers no like they really could have used any other type of tunnel like it could have been an abandoned subway tunnel or a natural cave or just There's a no hole that one of the X-Men dug, like Hole Digger, the X-Man, or whatever the fuck. <laughs> and there, there's no psychically blocked room in the X-Mansion? Apparently not. Right, they're like, okay, cool. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Welcome to Whose Plotline Is It Anyway? <laughs> where the writers oh, don't communicate. I would, uh, it matter. <laughs> this is one of the so it's not like an event fit with like 12 issues and everybody ties in it's one of those we're going to tell the storyline through all the x-men books but also no one's going to go to a cabin in the woods for a month beforehand oh right. my friend i never said that this was just x-men books oh. <laughs> <laughs> but this, <sighs> is, this is a crossover without anyone talking to each other just picking up the ball and, and making it up you know, I don't know the behind the scenes. Okay. Of it really this, appears so. to be a exquisite corpse type situation, but, but with the <laughs> X Men, like I, right. I, I shit you not, like some of the background stuff I was reading about this is basically like they started writing it and nobody knew who Onslaught really was supposed to be or how the story was supposed to end. Awesome. And, yeah, so you know, is, just, so just kind of picked awesome up and with with the it. Yeah, just a quick side note. Do you know the story of the resurrection of Jean Grey? Uh, I don't. The behind the scenes part of it. No. Okay. So Claremont killed off Jean Grey, and basically right. it was set in stone that no one shall ever resurrect Jean Grey. And then years went by, and I don't remember the name of the writer, but they were okay. like, hey, what if we do this? Right. And that was the, the Phoenix, Dark Phoenix story. Right, right. Okay. So it was so amazing that that you were able to to resurrect Jean Grey. Sure. This was kind of that because there are elements that go back years. Um, but I mean, again, th these writers, Claremont was known for this especially, but they had five, six year long storylines back then. Oh yeah. That they knew what was happening. Nowadays, you're lucky if you sign on a writer for more than a year or two. Right. Um, I think Hickman's run was probably the longest since. Um, yeah. That, you know you, right. you see a cohesive story but they just go into history and they're like oh yeah this kind of fits it's we're all gamers here so it's a st that's just really good about being like oh yeah that sort of kind of fits so yeah i, I planned that the whole time <laughs> yes. oh yeah 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 i mean it's, okay so we're still in the soap opera era of comic book writing oh yeah 100 percent. this I, is early I'm, 90s 91 i think 93 hold on i'm right at the beginning and it tells me 96 oh wow okay. oh my god oh okay. yeah yeah because this is this is back when they would put the the month and year on all right. of the comics on the cover but that's that's a lot closer to heroes reborn than i thought i thought this was something that like heroes oh reborn my buddy this fun. ends with heroes reborn <laughs> oh god so this is this is the reason for heroes reborn oh <laughs> So this, this is it's a giant game of telephone that's slightly more more coherent than the Civil War 
tie in. Yes. Is this an appropriate time to ask why God allows suffering? <laughs> I mean, yes. I don't, I, I, is, that, is, is that question uh, to the room? Or are you asking me in my professional opinion? <laughs> I don't want to suddenly put you on the clock in the middle of this. That's, that's... Char I'm charging for the next three minutes. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So X-Men number 54. Uh, Cyclops and Cannibal talk about what a horrible father figure Xavier is for a right. while. I mean, same. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like Sam's up in a tree, being like, "I am a piece of shit." When Cyclops walks past, and is like, "Hey, Sam, what are you doing up there?" And Sam's like, "Just thinking." And Cyclops is like, "Let me guess. Uh, the professor gave you one of his little lectures." <laughs> He's like, "Yes." <laughs> And if I may interject, like, Xavier is clearly being an ass, but, like, there's something to motivating people like Gene and Scott through, like, you can do better. Cannonball? Yeah, like, yeah, I know. He's such... Dude, know your team. Yeah. yeah. Like, Sam, Sam, Sam Guthrie is a sweet little cinnamon bun. Right. That has never done anything wrong. I, well, except for penance, but that's not his fault. Well, and that's in the future. That's it, right, exactly. This is... <sighs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, okay. Well, I'm, so, I'm I'm glad at least the author knows. <laughs> uh, so how you treat Sam. Okay. While uh, while Cannonball and Cyclops are talking about this, uh, Cy or, uh, Gambit and Bishop have basically found every X-Man on the property and been like, we're going juggernaut hunting. <laughs> uh, meanwhile... Gene and Jugs are working to open his mind, uh, but Jugs keeps being a dick about Charles, even though he's right. Like everything that he's saying <laughs> is like, it's like, hey, you remember that time that he uh, that he that he died? Like that he told everyone he died, and she's like, well, he told me he was okay, and she's like, oh, cool, cool. So he only told one of his students and like roped her into lying to everyone else. I'm so impressed with him. Right. It, it, I mean, estranged, but Juggernaut's Xavier's family, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, like, yeah, he should have, he should have, should have got a call. Also, important for people who are just passingly familiar, I'm pretty sure that Leia and, and Jesse, you both are, but I want our audience to know Juggernaut, it's, it's confusing a lot of times. Juggernaut's not a mutant. Uh, Juggernaut has, uh, something called the Gem of Cyrac, which is like a, a mystical thing that gives him his powers he is not in any way shape or form a mutant uh so uh gene's like oh gotta seal the door to make sure that all of this stuff that we're about to do doesn't leak out so when she closes the door she has a psychic connection with cyclops at all times that shuts down and cyclops can feel it okay and he's in the middle of the search for juggernaut so right. he's like oh shit i gotta go uh i gotta go check on her you guys go search. Um, the Meanwhile, the real beast has escaped uh, his cell, but he's confronted by two shadowy figures who are like, where are you going, buddy? Uh, Cyclops, uh, presumably, has been to the lake house, uh, found that Gene is missing, and goes and confronts Xavier, and basically is like, I don't have time for you to be a dick. Gene <laughs> uh, met with Onslaught, and now she's missing, and she didn't want to come and talk to you about it because you're being a fucking asshole right now. <laughs> uh, so, a 
as he's looking over Xavier's shoulder, he looks at his computer, to which Xavier has files open on Franklin Richards, who is uh, Reed Richards and Sue Richards' son, who is a mutant. Um, Xavier's like, that's weird. I don't remember opening those files. <laughs> Cyclops then is like, oh, by the way, Juggernaut's somewhere on the grounds. And Charles is like, cool, disable the defenses and let him in and then take care of him because you guys have always beaten him before. <laughs> Wait, did Xavier just ask for the defenses to be let down from within? Yes, sure did. Okay. Nobody finds this unusual at all. Right, right, right. And it doesn't, it, it has nothing to do with what we learned. At the right. I'm going to read this exactly how I have it written in my notes. Meanwhile, in Juggernaut's mind, he and Gene pull a Jericho and break the walls down! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, why 2 j Why? <laughs> Please tell me there's like a panel of like literal, not literal walls, but like an image of literal walls in his mind coming down. Yes. Yes, yes okay. they're like beating against walls. See also and they the break. named Holocaust. Okay, again, I don't <laughs> yes. know why I keep asking for subtlety. I, that's on me. That's for yeah, me. yeah, yeah. The X Men in the nineties uh, knew no subtlety. I, well, no. Yeah, but also speaking of the nineties and Chris Jericho, uh, his <laughs> his shirt when he first appeared as Y two J, they sold it at J C Penny, and I had one. Wow. <laughs> that like that like sparkle rainbow shirt. Yep. Hell is, yeah. Very clearly. I couldn't couldn't grow the top knot though. Oh man. <laughs> uh meanwhile in his office, uh after Cyclops leaves, uh Xavier is just sitting in his office thinking of all the ways he's failed recently. <laughs> uh, like, do that, like, like cool stuff. <laughs> I mean, yes. Anxiety is talking to you, my dude. Do not answer the door. Uh, he's like, it, it, like he is visualizing it. So, like, he's thinking about Sabretooth, like, beating the shit out of Psylocke and Archangel. He's thinking about Wolverine getting the adamantium pulled out of his body. Right. Thinking about erasing Magneto's mind. Uh, and as he's thinking about all this, like, he's looking at his desk. There's a picture of of uh creed who's running for president on an anti-mutant platform and then on the tv which is some, for some reason on in his office there's a guy who's been arrested for killing a mutant uh uh named dennis hogan um and when he was arrested there were news crews there and the guy said that mutie got what he deserved man that wasn't no crime there's a million who will back me up and more every day you can't stop us we'll get you all we'll get you mm. and that's when xavier throws a lamp through his tv and starts just screaming and freaking out um and it says and in that one horrible instance he finally suddenly realizes the truth about and then it flashes to gene yelling onslaught i know who he is uh and then she tells juggernaut you need to leave go out the door just start running uh he's in the mansion and juggernaut's like what and she's like nope just go and run and so he leaves but he's not seeing the sewers or the way they came in he's just seeing like staircases it kind of looks like an mc escher painting we're just kind of running around until he finds himself in the mansion and then he finds himself in xavier's office um and 
uh, he starts running around, and then Xavier attacks him, lifts him up, because Xavier's standing, uh, reaches into his chest and pulls the gem of Sidorak out of him as he turns into Onslaught. Um, and then he sends out the verb, the, the mental, to me, my X-Men. Wow. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, actually, that's the end of that issue. So we have a little excerpt from Fantastic Four number 414. Uh, Franklin Richards is having a tantrum, uh, screaming that the bad man is hurting them. Uh, no adults come to his aid because presumably they're off fucking Earth and decided an eight-year-old can just do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> it was the 90s. He had like, he was literally a latchkey kid. <laughs> latchkey kid. <laughs> uh, out of a shining portal, a kid version of Xavier shows up and says he wants to be Franklin's best friend. <laughs> yeah. A small bit, uh, again, we see of Avengers number 400. At the Avengers Mansion, Nate Gray shows up and tells them Xavier's gone insane. <laughs> hey guys, Xavier's gone insane. Anyway, he's got to run. And that brings us to Onslaught number one. Uh, we get the message from Gene in its entirety this time, without the <laughs> And it is Alex, Kurt, Sean, Cable, anyone. The mansion has sustained massive damage. I don't even know if this transmission is being received. If you can hear me, you need to know what happened here. The X-Men had been hit hard. Worse than worse, we were taken totally unaware. Both teams, blue and gold, have been decimated. If you respond to this distress call, be advised that mansion security has been deactivated from within. As hard as it is for me to say this, you need to know we've been betrayed by one of our own. Incredible as it sounds, Professor Xavier has gone insane. The most pow powerful PSI on the planet is no longer in control of his mutant ability, Near as I can tell, Juggernaut was the first to die. I'm the only one left standing who can make this message, and he's seen to it that my power's negated. It's our own fault, really. After what I saw in his mind, we never should have trusted that there were no after effects from Professor Xavier shutting down Magneto's mind. We knew so little about cy the cyanic damage that was a result from, wait, I sense he's here. And then there's the boom. You, of course, child. Did you truly believe, even for an instant, that you would escape the same fate which befell the rest of your team? I don't believe you. I can't believe you. You may kill the X-Men, but the dream will never die. On the contrary, Jean Grey Summers, the dream is dead. <laughs> and then we find out that that was 45 minutes from now, and now we're at now. We're at now now. What's happening now is happening now. Uh, the X-Men all arrive at, at the professor's office, including Jean, who is psychically shielding herself and can't warn anyone in the room what's going on, because then Xavier would know. Right. Uh, Charles talks about how his dream is dead, and how they need to be more hands-on with the future of mutant kind. Uh, Jean is distracted trying to figure out, like, how to fight him, when she sees the gem of Satirac as a paperweight on Charles's desk. Like, just such a cool place to put it. <laughs> uh, she immediately psychically tries to warn all the X-Men, but Onslaught blocks her and basically muzzles her. He's like, ah, ha, ha, they can't see or hear you. And then, like, gives her feedback so she cries out and falls over. When the X-Men react to that, Xavier becomes Onslaught, like, fully. Yeah. Um, they ask what he did with Charles, but Onslaught says it's what Charles did to him, locking away every bad thought, fear and urge fed and nurtured Xavier uh, onslaught 
Okay. And now it's time to subjugate the world. <laughs> uh, Bishop asks about free will, and Onslaught says that free will is a privilege, not a right. Uh, he begins messing with them, and Cyclops blasts them. Like, he basically is like, oh, yeah, Bobby, did you know that you uh, your power works on a molecular level? It basically starts making him ice in different forms. Yeah. Um, and so Cyclops blasts him. Onslaught says it is only the part of him that is Xavier that keeps them alive. Uh, he freezes them all in place and basically fades and disappears. Um, not sure how he's doing this. Um, but, Molecules, question mark? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're all frozen and Gene's like, we have to use our powers creativity, creatively. And Gambit's like, okay, charges the floor and explodes it. Nice. Cause you know, now we can move. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Gene says Gambit's blast alone shouldn't have been powerful enough. So there must be a part of the professor left. And after a brief discussion, the X-Men go to hunt Xavier. Uh, Charles continues to manipulate Franklin Richards as little Charlie. <laughs> uh, we find out that none of the Fantastic Four can see little Charlie, so he's like, they just think he's an invisible friend. Uh, my note here says, none of the Fantastic Four think it odd or concerning when a reality warper has an invisible friend. Right, okay, yeah. so this is the part that I was like, so this, I, I, this part I, I did read, and I was like, how do they not, like, how is that not concerning? Right, he's a reality warper, and it's not like they don't know this. I would immediately yes. be freaking out. At minimum, I would think my son was talking to a ghost or somebody from another dimension or something. Right, and everybody's just like, "Hey, shut up, Frankie." <laughs> I just want to point out for discussions later. Yeah, uh, Jennifer Howland has joined us. Hello. So she will be Jennifer walking Howland in. Has joined the building. Yeah. So right. she will be. She also does not know this story. So yeah. this is where she is chosen to join the onslaught story. Well, um, I mean, circumstance. Right. Yeah. Chosen for me. Uh, Hello. How are hello. you? Hi. I'm. I'm doing okay. All right. So. I. So uh, I, do, I have. I have a question in the in the comment. Uh. So do they know that Franklin Richards is a reality warper? Because this. Yes. Is they're like, well aware. Okay, because this is through Onslaught and Heroes Reborn is how I found that out. But this, is, so his parents know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also, like their best friend was like Bluebeard for a little while. So like maybe not just assume he's a kid with an imaginary friend. Like right. That's what like, I'm you, saying. Like you've like, seen stuff. You know, like you've seen some shit. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean that's. Yeah, it's like it's like when Tony Stark is like, "Oh, I just got to do a thing." No, Tony, you need a babysitter everywhere you go. Right, yeah. We right. know this. <laughs> Reed's a narcissist, and you know Johnny's going to play along because he's not going to think that deeply, and Ben's probably going to protect the kid. But like, shouldn't Sue. Sue, shouldn't Sue be like, "Hey, given the fact that you know one of you is rock and the other one's on fire, maybe <laughs> not assume that this child is making this up." Right. No, this the, it, further in the story, we will find out that Sue Richards is really the only fucking hero with a half a brain. <laughs> uh, and if you're playing along at home on your graphically novel bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, that's another. As we realize, that's pretty much par for the course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So meanwhile, in the basement, Cannonball, Bishop, Wolverine, Dark Beast, and Storm uh break into like 
a lower room to find out that Xavier's been looking at files on Franklin Richards and X-Man. Um, while they're doing this, Cannonball's like, well, why don't we just go and blow stuff up? And they're like, uh, uh Sam, you okay? And then they find out that Onslaught is controlling Cannonball's mind. Uh, so there's a fight. Yeah. Uh, they knock uh, Cannonball out, and then Onslaught appears. Wolverine points out that his entire outfit doesn't look like Charles's. It looks more like Magneto's. <laughs> Onslaught does not like this and floods their minds with psychic wrath. <laughs> uh, I know that look. What, what, do you, what do you have to roll for psychic wrath? Like, what is... I mean, they, I know there's psychic damage, isn't there? I'm sure that, that just sounds like, I don't know. Yeah. Right, yes. I, mean, I realize someone made it up, but it sounds like someone made it up. It, it's very oh. dramatic. <laughs> the word psychic and psionic appear so many fucking times in this comic series. <laughs> uh, so Onslaught reveals to Bishop that was it was only his memories from the Age of Apocalypse which allowed Onslaught to fully materialize and if he had not come back in time due to Jean Grey's message, Onslaught never would have happened. So this has caused the the time travel loop, uh, right. which again, on your Marvel bingo cards. Yo, yeah, X-Men and time travel. Yeah. Wait, so, so there's this story about Charles Xavier making choices, the ends justify the means, protect his children, protect the world, make peace with humanity that are against his own morals, gives him, you know, guilt, locks them away. It's a comic book. They literally manifest. And then it's because some dude time traveled. That is part one. We have not <laughs> found out part two yet. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Sorry, sorry to jump on, on your, your answer there, Leia. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> no, you're, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. I felt like that was going to be one that you were going to toss to me. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Gene, Cyclops, Dark Beast, and Iceman are, are, oh, uh, I'm sorry. After, uh, Onslaught says this to them, uh, to, to Bishop, he, like, disappears again. Okay. Uh, we find out that the reason he can appear and disappear, by the way, is he is just psychic energy. Right. Uh, although he can somehow still have Xavier's body. <laughs> yeah. This would be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Gene, yeah, go, go, go. Gene, Cyclops, Dark Beast, and Iceman are backing up all the Cerebro files. So now Dark Beast has access to the files of every mutant on Earth. Cool. Love this. Uh, Dark Beast, by the way, for people who are not familiar, is basically take Beast and make him Mangala. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's really yeah. bad. Uh, Iceman has been monitoring the temperature levels in the room. So when Onslaught comes into the room with his psychic shield up so that nobody could tell, Bobby can feel him because he's still getting off body heat mm-hmm. <laughs> and like nails him with a bunch of ice. Um, Onslaught is like, okay, cool. I could fight you, but instead I'm just going to have you fight each other, uh, to which they do. Uh, he has Scott's eyes attack themselves. Yep, yep. Yep, this is a thing that had, and I, 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 I read this, and I just kind of kept staring at it for like two solid minutes. I was like, "Explain." <laughs> yeah, which they can't because there's a reason that Scott and Havoc's powers don't work on each other because they're related. So in theory, Scott's powers wouldn't work on him. Right. Otherwise, he would have died a long time ago. Right. He would have burned his fucking retinas out. Exactly. And like also- his, he, like just simply the act of closing his eyes would have killed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just burn through his eyelids. Yeah. 
I'm yeah. not a doctor, but that's not how eyes work, right? Like if, <laughs> like if one, like you can't, you can't look at your own eye, so you can't shoot your own eye. Like that's not. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. <laughs> how does that even? That sentence doesn't make any sense. It, it sure doesn't. And it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't read any better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna have you fight yourselves. I'm thinking, oh, like they're gonna have to like battle each other. It's like, no, literally, you're just all gonna like turn it inside out, boy. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Every page. Every page, we stray further from God. Like, uh, <laughs> yes, Amen. And like, I, what's really frustrating is this feels like there's a story there with like some comic book elements because of the comic book, and then just stuff that makes no sense. Yeah, right? like the whole like, I'll suspend disbelief, but give tell me what the rules of the of the world are. And, and, and for, you know, at this point, thirty years, like if he wears the right glasses or closes his eyes, the beams stop. And now, no. Like, no, it, the, and it literally the line is, I cause your optic blast to feed back onto yourself. Like, I, a lot of this reads as somebody who um, was given very vague descriptions of the characters and had never <laughs> actually read an X Men comic before, and then were instructed, uh, nay, ordered to write an X Men story. <laughs> like, uh, Wolverine, uh, this is actually somehow. This is actually somehow worse a description of Scott's powers than the time that he uh, blasted a, a uh, campfire. Yes. Set, because very specifically, they have said that it does not cause heat. His his blasts are not heat. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, so the X-Men are down. Uh, Iceman, Gene, and, and Cyclops are down. When Dark Beast is like, excellent, well done. I would like to join you. <laughs> uh onslaught has known that he was dark beast like the whole time sure uh and onslaught suddenly gets weak and like kind of stumbles in the middle of telling dark beast he doesn't need him and then he's like help me uh, <laughs> uh because xavier is fighting him from the inside okay uh so onslaught takes gene hangs her upside down from the ceiling and is ripping the template for the Phoenix power out of her mind. Yep. Again, not established before that moment, correct? No. 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 Okay. Just again, I'm new here. We're all new here, buddy. Yeah. I I, clearly the writers were also new here, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh so she's resisting, and Onslaught turns around to tell Dark Beast to get rid of like basically kill the other X-Men and get rid of their bodies. And while he's talking to Dark Beast, Jean somehow escapes. Doesn't explain how. She just escapes. <laughs> escapes. So she goes down to the Psyproof chamber in the Morlock tunnels right, and right, transmit right. the message from the beginning. So now we're all caught up with a comic from four years in the future. <laughs> so, yeah. And wait, so and again, she goes to the place we just made up to securely send a message to hide it from the one person who knows where she is? Yes. Okay. I'm just, okay, I, I, I apologize. I just, I. You, you don't I, need to apologize. You did not write this. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I feel like my my question is, well, that's dumb, and the answer is like yes. And I'm like, okay, let's... <laughs> it's more of a statement, really. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so her message does end with you know onslaught yeah. opening the door and going to kill her, 
She's about to die when she's saved by Cyclops, Wolverine, Storm, Cannonball, Bishop, Gambit, and Iceman, and there's a big fight. Mm. Uh, Onslaught goes to wipe them all out with a blast of psionic energy. Bishop jumps in the way, taking all of it. Uh, Onslaught and Dark Beast depart. The X-Men collect their knowledge of Onslaught, focusing on his similarities to Magneto, and basically that they might have to kill Xavier. Mm -hmm. In a bunker somewhere in the United States, a Sentinel wakes up and just says, Onslaught. (laughs) That is the end of that comic. Onstar. (laughs) I see you're in a confusing comic book. Would you like me to explain it? (laughs) I detect you have been in a plotline accident. (laughs) Do you require assistance? Yes, please. (laughs) Uh, Uncanny X-Men number 335. Somewhere in a tomb... Ozymandias meets with an uh, awoken apocalypse. Okay, um, who that? Ozymandias, he uh, is not the DC version, so he's not the Watchmen version. He is literally an Egyptian priest that has lived for centuries. Oh, boring. Yeah, I, like, boo, boo. (laughs) (laughs) He's also been, like, Apocalypse's servant for all that time, too. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, through their conversation, we confirm that Xavier and Magneto have bonded and become Onslaught. This is the other part. When, okay. So when <laughs> Xavier erased Magneto's mind, mm-hmm. somehow Magneto's essence was backed up in Charles's mind. That essence found the back room where Charles put all of his bad thoughts, mm-hmm. and it became Onslaught once the Age of Apocalypse stuff showed up. So does Onslaught have the power of Professor X and Magneto? Yes. But hasn't used any of Magneto's powers because also that true. would give away the... Yeah. Circle gets the square. Right. right. So other than the whole, like, you know, mortal enemies working together, yada, yada, like, does having Magneto's powers do anything for the character or the plot going forward? Or does it just create a better costume? <laughs> Yeah, yes. <laughs> Aesthetics are key here. It's no, for great. sure, but like, I, I don't we know. We will see Onslaught use Magneto's powers if that helps. Okay, I, I mean, yeah. But yes, at this point, <laughs> it, it, up to this point, no, he has not used any Magneto powers. I just, right. I, I feel like someone who has had in relatively small compared to, to everybody else in the universe, but someone who's had trauma and not felt my feelings and been to therapy there's a better story with this just being charles xavier dealing with it in a comic booky way like like why all the the other right right no i totally get that because like this could have been a cool story if that if went that route yeah but it just i okay wait this is 90s x-men and i'm complaining about it being muddled that's on (laughs) that's i'm sorry that's that is my fault So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that's going, the, the next part of this is both oh. going to make things better, but the way that I'm going to frame it is going, or I'm sorry, it's going to make it worse, but the way I'm going to frame it is going to make it better. Okay. Because Apocalypse is talking to Ozymandias and he says some major, major, sh- well, he, some major, major shit is about to go down. Uh-huh. And Ozymandias is like, well, how can you even know? And he's like, because my buddy Uatu the Watcher is here. Oh, and then we frame back. And Uatu is there. Now, the way that I'm going to make this better is for the rest of this comic, Uh Apocalypse and Uatu 
basically function as Statler and Waldorf in this comic. <laughs> Magnificent. I mean, that. I'm here for that. It yeah. is fucking brilliant, and I am here for it, and I want just Apocalypse and Uatu to right. be making Muppet comments <laughs> through every fucking comic through the rest of history. And to go full circle with my personal graphic novel, graphic novel journey, um, Uatu is now here, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. Truth. Yeah, right. This is I, much better than, than Original Sin. I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Avengers, who at this point are Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Quicksilver, and Star Scarlet Witch, okay. ar arrive with X-Man to the ruins of the Xavier Mansion. Mm -hmm. They okay. land looking for survivors and are immediately attacked by all the surviving X-Men. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a big fight. X-Man pulls the thoughts from all of the X-Men that are there at the same time and constructs them into one coherent story to basically figure out what they've all been through. See, that uh, feels like that that's, he can't do that. There's no coherent story here to pull together. I don't. Right. <laughs> what have we been doing for the last hour? And I, I know I, this is where I draw line. <laughs> <laughs> There's no story here. This is no. where. This, this is, is where. This is where. Trying to pretend Those there was some kind together. of coherent story here. How yeah, dare you? Story, whatever. All right. And again, directly from my notes, Scarlet Witch is like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and are and Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver still Magneto's kids? Or yes. Magneto's kids again? Or okay. Yes, they bitch about it a lot. I didn't really include it in my notes, but yes. Yeah, yeah, just curious. Uh, back on, or newly, on Mirror Island, the team of Excalibur, which at this point is Moira McTaggart, Nightcrawler, Megan, and Colossus, okay. break down all of what's happened because they've gotten the message from Jean. Mm -hmm. Moira says they may, may need to open the Xavier Protocols. Okay. Uh, I looked this up mm -hmm. uh, because the Xavier Protocols were earlier in the comics. These are all plans that Xavier has made to take down each one of the X-Men, including himself, if they should go awry. I also looked up, this is four years before the DC Tower of Babel storyline. Okay. So suck it, DC. Yeah. <laughs> our, also, our, our Marvel. Sorry, Jen. No, no, you're fine. Also, Marvel getting in on the, how many characters can we throw at you before you finally drown in characters? <laughs> all right. of them. The answer is all of them. I, I also love of all the shit that was made up for this particular story, the Xavier Protocols, I would have absolutely been like retconned, always been there, but we need it for this story, is the one thing that is like, has already existed. <laughs> right. Well, they had found it. They had found them. Yeah. They had found them recently in an Excalibur comic, like a few months before. Oh, okay. So yeah, set up, but obviously set up for right, which is fine. Like again, that's that's what this story is. You do need to kill for like that's right. So the X Men and the Avengers meet up and conclude that Onslaught is pure living psionic energy. X Force shows up, who at this point is Sunspot, Domino, and Siren. They're answering Jean's message. Cap splits up resources between searching for Magnetos, going to warn the Fantastic Four, going to Muir Island, and watching X-Man, <laughs> who basically they're like, obviously Charles is going to come for X-Man. Okay. Scott pulls Aurora Storm to the side 
to check in and basically ask, can she go and check on Cable since with his psionic powers, he'll also be a potential target. But Cyclops didn't want to bring it up in front of everybody because he doesn't want to seem like a worried dad. Um, which is the only time that Scott could have appeared to be a fucking capable father. <laughs> and he chooses not to. It's like, no, I don't want anybody to know that I give a crap. <laughs> oh, fuck you, Scott Summers. So Look, I, not to defend Cyclops, but when, like, your child is a time traveling, you know, descendant of when you had sex with your own grandma. Like, it's hard to be a dad. Like, it's not like a lot gets sprung on him. Like, it's, and I don't think any of that's right, but prove it. You know, that's something I really appreciate about you, Jesse. You're always able to find something good <laughs> right. in anyone. Cyclops <laughs> is an asshole, but to be fair, he just found out about this kid. <laughs> I wonder if faith is required to like Cyclops. Mm. <laughs> like, because I don't have it. So it's like, right, right. Faith. Get... you just don't. Yeah. <laughs> faith. For some reason, I immediately assumed that faith was. That's where I went to. Oh. Was a, was an faith excellent... and char- hope and charity. No, no, yeah. Hope. <laughs> hope is an X-Man. I'm sure Faith is an X-Man somewhere. Yeah. Let's be honest. In the next 20 years, she's going to have siblings that are named Faith and Charity because... Right, exactly. Did you bring up Faith and Charity first? Yeah, I did. You threw it back to Dawn? Really? (laughs) You will never live that down. God, between that and this, I fucking hate the 90s so much and I used to love it. Oh, age one. I fucking hate the ninety. <laughs> pitch it, pitch it, it'll go. I mean, it, is it not this? Is it not like <laughs> this show? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. So conversations. I, so, which blade's an independent comic, right, Leah? That counts as what you wanted to do in the future of the show. Yeah, you know. I keep, I keep yeah. trying to tell my graphically novel side. That Witchblade was a TV show. It was. And a comic. Yes. And I could get the TV show. And and also, I feel like it would be, as someone who, as I understand your journey, Josh, uh, a cishet white male that grew up in the 90s as a nerd, you consumed a lot of things without questioning them because you were younger and it was cool and, you know. And an have you, then, have then, you listened to the episode that dropped this uh that dropped this? I haven't. I, okay. I, yeah, I, it's on it's on Joseph Michael Linsner's Dawn. <laughs> and uh I present it to three women who very quickly who are point meek out, and mild and not like, at all yeah, yeah, and, and reserved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and I mean so this is the like it's uh, it's it's the friends conundrum, right? Like, yes, right. It, it's will and grace. It's like all these things that like took a step forward, and now we've taken. I'll just say two steps forward, at least in media, right? So if looking back, back on it, you're like, why was it that far back? Yes, right. but yeah, and and you know, and then you can look at like with friends. Not to totally get on a tangent, but like there's a whole episode of like Ross can't get over the fact that there's a male nanny. But also Ross is the buffoon. So maybe it's, you know, there's lazy critiques of like, oh, I can't believe what they did there. And you're like, yeah, they didn't do it as well as you do it now. But like, give them a second, it's, right? It's <laughs> the way that it's the way that Kevin Smith explains Chasing Amy when people are like, oh, there's this whole line about how all lesbians Steve is deep dicking. And he's like, did you notice that that line was said by the buffoon who everything he says in the entire movie is wrong? 
Right. <laughs> right, but right. It, and in that same series of movies, um, the the way in which cishet white guys in the 90s used gay and homosexuality as a punchline. Right. Like, it, it's all through that. And it's not like, but it's, it, it's a- not defensible but it comes from a place of ignorance from the author. But at the same time, doing that as a punchline or doing that, having the gay best friend character and all the stuff, weirdly also normalized gay culture. So when it was on the outside, it was used as comic relief at first and then took steps, you know, but it was a step. Right. And, and oh, yeah, yeah. Like a, a product, like the, it's, it's purely what you, what you think of or what you should think of as things being a product of their time right yes. like right you know it was clearly like and it's not to say like obviously it's not to say like gay people didn't exist or there was no you know there was no right. x representation in media or whatever but it's just at the time that's what you got you know and that that was what you had like you know to yeah. to use a further comparison some of the stuff in the early sandman comics Yes. cringy as fuck now like yeah. like we would not pass any type of test um but that was the language that was the idea that was the you know that was kind of the 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 pop culture part of 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 perception at the time yeah. so like yeah now we look at it and we're like yikes dude but at the time it was like wow how brave how interesting how you know what a, what a great way to represent underrepresented groups and stuff like that you know so it's really interesting how those things just in the in a short span of you know a decade or two become completely turned on their head right, right. absolutely i mean even even further back you look at like uh uh sammy davis jr being part of the rat pack and sure. go and listen to the rat pack live in the sands it's on spotify mm-hmm. listening to that shit i'm like holy shit you can't make these jokes but it normalized an african-american being part of a predominantly white group right and yes they made jokes about sammy being black but sammy was in on the joke like right. there was a point where Sammy jumps into Dean's arms and Dean just immediately responds with, I'd like to thank everyone for this award from the NAACP. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And you know, there's jokes like that. Sammy even makes jokes like that, but it, again, it starts to normalize things. You use humor as an avenue. Now, right. is it acceptable now? No. Is it still like looking back? You're like, okay, that's still kind of funny. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because you have to understand the time that they were in, and that was bold, right? right. And it's the, it's the, it's the all in the family, right? Yes, like, yeah. Like, like what, what is, what is authorial intent, and you know, who, who is the butt of the joke, and why? Archie Bunker was the buffoon, right? And it, and I mean, he was always meant to be the buffoon. And and this is this is ironic, and I think this is uh, as I listen to graphically novel. Uh, I haven't listened to the Dawn episode yet, but there's this reality of like, at least at least the forward face of nerd culture was cis pet white guys. Yes. And, and there's still gatekeepers and and you know toxic fandoms and all of that are still more than present. Oh God, yeah. Just look at anything dealing with She-Hulk right now. Uh-huh. Right. For fuck's like, sakes. Like <laughs> I'm just I, I'm literally not paying attention to it because because I know the conversation and it's you know it's boring because right because the negative yeah. it's 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 uh it's shit i thought when i was younger yes <laughs> right and i'm like yeah no i know like uh, uh, comic not- books aren't for girls well right it's, it, i i literally when i was a child got the 
shit kicked out of me on several notable occasions for being caught with a comic book like right that was that was you know nowadays again of course nowadays less likely to happen not to say it never does but much less likely to happen but yeah like i got beat up for enjoying teenage mutant ninja turtles like (laughs) and by the way i'll say right now anyone that's like will you guys just get back to the story you have not been paying attention to the fucking yeah because (laughs) we need a break from this shit <laughs> and, and and I think this is why, honestly, why conversations about pop culture are important. Because if and I'll I'll throw you under the bus with me, Josh. If we held on to, but I liked it when I was younger, and I got beat up for it too, and I didn't face bullying for nerddom nearly as much as others, because I went to a small Christian high school and I was the coordinator for our weekly chapels. Like I. I'm the cis white guy in a position of power in an evangelical church. Like I don't have any room to complain about a representation or B how I've ever been treated. I was a gaming nerd in high school that ran the poetry club. There are still people shocked. I'm not gay. (laughs) Right. Well, and, and, and I sent this on Facebook and I don't know if, if Leah got it, but like the emotional lift that you and Leah did on the secret empire uh one i there were issues that i didn't read that were much more like obvious as to what was going on Mm -hmm. but i read just the captain america issues of that and it's it's not there and i'm not someone who will see the dog whistles because i've never they've never been used against me and i've never been in the group that uses them right they're not they're not a language i know but I'm thankful for that lift because now I can look back at that piece of media and critically go, oh, this isn't a clever idea. This is hateful rhetoric. And I would have some of have a, have a beer up. ready for the Dawn episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I've been saving it. I've got a road trip coming up. There you <laughs> go. And, you know, and, and so I, you know, if all voices matter, then all voices matter. But something like Kevin Smith and something like Neil Gaiman and Sandman, what they have done is said, I want to do something better now. Right. right? Yeah. Oh, no. The, the, and let other voices in and like. Yeah. That, Next season of Graphically Novel, we are 1000% doing Sandman because what Neil did to reimagine his work 30 years later for a modern audience is awe-inspiring the choices that were made episode to episode there was not a single one that i looked at and went i don't understand why they made that choice i knew exactly why he made that choice and in a modern context he made it better than the comic yeah and 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 he has an understanding of the world where he can say look this was you know to leah's point this was a step when i wrote it it's mm-hmm. been however many years since then. Let's take a couple more steps with the source material. Right. Yeah, I think that's actually might be one of the only episodes of Graphically Novel where we go episode by episode. Yeah. Because yeah. we're going to be reading the source material. It's very close to the show, but in the ways that it's not, it's important to talk about. It's important why. to discuss. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like 24 7 alone yes. is a half hour discussion. Yep. And and in these medias, as 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 much as graphically novel can make fun of it, and as much as you know the you know well, red conversation can make fun of it, and graphically novel can get into 
discussions of this is the media, it's been this long, here's the adaptation, what works, what doesn't, what should we put away? Like, I, I lost where I was starting though, but there's, uh, so I'll, I know I, I got it back, right? So this media is about outsiders fitting in, yeah. right? As stupid as Magneto being thrown into Onslaught because there's something deeper, at least for 40 year olds that have, are, have dealt and are dealing with their own shit, find that interesting. Uh, you know, 20 year old me, 15 year old me just wants to punch them up, just wants a cool thing, especially in the 90s, right? Yes. Right. You got to sugarcoat it. But like these stories, ultimately, ultimately, pop culture is about outsiders trying to fit in, right? Yeah, the X Men in particular, for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you can't then let more people in, you weren't paying attention to the, to the moral of the stories you read as a kid. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, it, no, it's like, it's like these fucking people that are like, when does Star Trek get so woke? From the first <laughs> fucking episode. My right. dude, my dude, I don't even watch Star Trek, but I can certainly school you on, on how yeah. you are wrong. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, can I, can I just point out that Jesse equated sugarcoating to violence again, <laughs> why he's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I am on my own personal journey of, um, so growing up evangelical and the, um, the love of violence that is a part of that culture. Oh, sure. Yes, right? absolutely. And growing up a comic book fan, which is if you punch hard enough, your problems go away. And how, yeah. much, and how much of that is, is fantasy fulfillment of, look, here's a world where problems can be punched, where problems can be solved. Mm-hmm. And how much of that world is right? Like uh, Marvel movies get to use uh, get to use military bases and uh, you know vehicles and all that, which means there's a message underlying the way the Avengers form and fight that the current military industrial complex approves of. Shit, I mean, look at if you really want to get deep for a minute, look yeah. at look at the entire character of Captain America. Her, his first appearance is uh, punching Hitler in the fucking face. Right. Two yeah. Jewish comic creators created a man who was so powerful he could punch most dangerous anti-Semite on the planet. Right. Like that's incredible. Or even take a look at Luke Cage. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, especially uh, there was an article that I read when that series came out, um, and it has stuck with me. It has re it resonated with me, and it has stuck with me to this day. But the article in you know basically stated. You know what? What could possibly be more powerful in today's culture than the fantasy of a bulletproof black man? Yeah, and yeah. that just hit me right upside that, uh, right upside the head, and I was like, "Wow!" You know, but I mean, really, that's you know, it speaks to everything that you were saying, like the right. the, the the wish fulfillment, the fantasy, um, you know, of having having the power that you don't have in real life. Um, you know, totally, totally get it. it. And and it comes down to empathy, right? Right. Because that's where, at least for me, a lot of this toxic fandom is, is someone who isn't cishet white person is on the screen and cishet white men are like, well, where are my stories? And part of me is like, A. Everywhere. Bro. <laughs> you, got, you got the first 60 years, shut that, sh you know, shut up, sit down and take a seat. Two, yeah. I know that it's possible to resonate with characters that don't represent you perfectly because there are non-cishet white people in the fandom and they've had to put up with finding themselves in shit that didn't reflect them. So I can do it. Yeah. 
And secondly, Moana was just Star Wars with a little girl and it was (laughs) the power of love instead of destruction. It's it's the hero's, yeah, it's the hero's journey. It's it's, it's the hero's journey. And I actually appreciate getting stories that aren't about whiny white boys named Luke Skywalker because I now get to hear different stories. Sure. And I mean, it's not about me, right? Like, I- it's it's really part of the reason I've been enjoying uh, the uh, Marvel shows so much yes. recently. Look at what we've mm-hmm. had. We've had a wealth of. I mean, we've had Moon Knight, which was incredible. We got to see our our first acknowledged canon Jew. Woohoo! Um, also, and- also the first Egyptian superhero. First Egyptian superhero. Look at Kamala Khan. Uh, yeah. Look yeah. at look at you know you look at She Hulk. Look at you know even you know Shang Chi. Look at you know all these beautiful beautiful stories that don't center yeah. you know a a a cishet white guy just doing stuff and i mean and i say this is somebody who right. uh completely marks out for captain america and bucky barnes but like wow yeah. it is so cool to to see these things and hear these stories and 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 see stuff that we maybe don't know a ton about you know ms marvel i didn't know shit about the partition in india before mm-hmm. i started that yeah, show exactly. you know like that kind of stuff i mean how yeah. many people in, yeah. in the u.s do you know and, and even even she hulk which the one part of she hulk that i am so fucking glad they left in because it's critical to the character in the comics mm-hmm. she hulk loves to fuck <laughs> like she is a woman with a libido yeah and le- legitimately loves to fuck yeah you know it is a sex positive superhero sure and and it's now a sex positive female being written and directed and acted by females and not john byrne right Right. (laughs) which again right like you take a step forward but like uh okay if if neil gaiman cannot do representation perfectly and has to learn how to do that and then get out of the way and let others do it um we need other people writing stories right right if, yeah. if neil if neil gaiman with his talent and his commitment to diversity and representation and his empathy is still going to get in the way of those stories being told better then we need to get out of the way <laughs> like, <laughs> it just, like it just it just ha- and and kamala khan is about family and place and identity and being an outsider without batman punching the joker Yes. It actually is a different story. It's still the hero's journey, sure, but it's not uh, get the MacGuffin, get the thing, blow up the thing, the story's over. The right. story ends a different way because it's about a different perspective. And that is just on a pure consumer of outsider stories level, refreshing. Hey, everybody. This one took a long time, so that concludes part one of Onslaught. Please tune in in two weeks when we will be back for part two. But until then, take it away, Vandello. Some deep reactions, please. All this comics narration ain't me. A little more talk, a lot less read. A little five babies of what I need. Close the trade, open up your brains. Explain it to me. Explain it to me, baby. Explain it to me. Explain it to me, baby. Explain it to me.
Betting Deadlock 2021.